He's controversial. 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now. He's outspoken. You will tell your kids and your grandkids and your great, great grandkids. And he tells it like it is. That you watched a great athlete named the franchise. And he was the greatest world's heavyweight champion of all time. He is the franchise Shane Douglas. And you are listening to the Triple Threat Podcast. Prepare to get your ass franchised. Fox Econton. In fact, that was one of my big impediments 
to even attempting to get off was fearful of going to a meeting that somebody might say, oh, Shane Douglas was there. Let's go, let's go to the I saw Shane Douglas at a meeting or whatever. So to see PJ doing this in such a public and overt way uh, just really burst my chest with pride because that I, I can call him a friend and I've known him for so long. PJ, like I've said before so many times, he's a great kid. He really is. He's a great, great guy that will do anything for you. But unfortunately, when you're on that shit, you know, it's not a question of you want to or you could. It's a question that you have to feed that addiction, and that sucks up all of your time. And, you know, I've been fortunate enough to know uh, Justin and Jill, uh, or Pete and Jill, I should say, for, for so long. And I've known their kids since they were babies, and now they're all growing up. Uh, that I can only imagine how they're rooting for him as well. You know, so to see him doing it in such a public way, which is going to hold his feet to the fire and help him on that path to get to the desired end of finally being sober and over that crap, uh, to me is fantastic. And and probably just as close to being proud uh, of that and for him is to see the responses from her. Instead of all the trolls coming out and saying, oh, what a piece of shit, you know, we've heard this before. That's the nature of the beast with that, with that disease. And to see all the support that PJ is getting online and on the social medias and in public, I, I think is just fantastic because we all know where the alternative ends up, and especially in this wrestling business. So to see what PJ is doing and how well he's doing with it, every time I see a picture of him, you know, posting online, uh, hey, you know, I'm, I'm just, I, I'm so proud of my, I feel like I'm watching my kid uh, win the Super Bowl or something. He's he's uh, he's such a great guy, and, and he's on the good path. But let's all continue to support him in the way and hold him accountable to make sure that we get him over that goal line of, of getting to the point that he wants to be at and he needs to be at for his kids. But just honored that we had him on and he was willing to come on the podcast and and talk about those because it's a really, I mean, face, that's a tough subject for anybody to talk about, certainly in public. Yeah, and I got to tell you, I mean, we have never really even asked you about your battles, and obviously you overcame them uh, in, a, in a very big way, a very public way. You, you were very candid many times, many interviews about your struggles that you've had, but one of the questions I actually did want to ask you, you, you kind of answered there, and that he is doing this in front of the camera, and he's doing this as yeah. somewhat of a, of a therapeutic way to quite possibly, look, he's lived basically his whole entire adult life, just like you have in front of right. the camera, but would you be a little more, you know, shy toward doing something to the extent he is where even though he's had a couple setbacks, he's still every day, he's with that camera crew and he's being held accountable. Would you have a harder time possibly doing something similar to that? Well, you know, it's pre and post pre uh, uh, sobriety pr- prior to December 22nd, 2005, I would have been mortified to attempt that in front of a camera mortified. Uh, because what if I fail? Then everyone's going to laugh at me and make point fingers at me and everything else. I'd have been mortified. Uh, post, looking back uh, from where I sit now, thank God, uh, I look back and think what a great uh, assist that would have been to know that everybody's watching me and, and that this was such a, a public display that if I slip up, if I make a screw up, uh, that somebody's going to be there, somebody's going to see it, especially today with all these, everybody's got a camera and a video camera on their hip. Uh, with their cell phones, uh, that I would think that would be a big impetus in helping you along the way. So, uh, 
but again, when you're, when, you know, it's hard for anybody to take something so personal and take it into the public realm and admit that you have an issue, you have a problem. So again, for PJ doing it, I don't care if it's then, now, easier, harder. The fact that he's doing it, I believe is going to help him well on his way. I've, I've known him and talked to him about this for so many years. And, you know, he's always wanted to get well. He's always wanted to be over that, uh, you know, on the positive side of things. But it's, it's you know, like I always tell people, if it was so easy to do, so easy to fix, you wouldn't, we'd never hear about addictions. Uh, they're called addictions because they're damn difficult, if not one step away from impossible, to fix. Uh, but that he's doing it the way that he's doing it, I think, is going to help him as we all support him and hold him to account. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I think it's just fantastic. I, I guess what I'm proud of him and happy for his family that he's doing this because I think it's going to make for, a, in the end, one hell of a damn good story for everybody to listen to, for all the millions of people that are out there right now thinking they can't possibly do this. They don't have any idea how to start. To be able to go back and watch this documentary that Justin's doing uh, shows you that every human being can do this. You just have to have a little bit of help along the way and somebody pointing you in the right direction. So I think Justin's going to do a lot of people a lot of good in helping to get over the scourge that's gripping the nation right now. And definitely, you know, having that outlet to talk to three people that he knows, like he did with us last week, you know, that have all said to him how much we do support him independently. That's got to make him feel just as comfortable to share with us. But I want to welcome uh, John here into the fray now. One of the funny parts of that very serious episode was the fact that I had it on the background, and PJ did as well, but we both had Monday Night Raw on in the background, just on mute, just while we were recording. I never watched Raw. So the fact that I was sitting in front of the TV, I don't even know why I had it on, but the final deletion or the ultimate deletion with Matt Hardy and Bray Wyatt was on, and PJ stopped what he was saying to you, Shane, and he had a comment on the match. And this is one of the YouTube videos I, I put up. So, John, i got to ask you now, PJ had kind of started to rip the match apart being a little too Hollywood, being a little too overproduced, and the <laughs> acting was bad, and this and that. Now, John, did you get a chance to, to check it out, and what was kind of your take on that ultimate deletion match that, uh, that was going on live while we were chit-chatting with PJ last week? I really didn't see the, the whole thing all the way through. I just kind of caught the highlights and, and the YouTube video and stuff like that. You know, I, I really, I don't know, I, for whatever reason, I really didn't like this one. I enjoyed, actually, the one that they did in TNA. I feel like, uh, for whatever reason, the production was a little bit more sleeker. I felt like the production was a little bit better because it was – Maybe not sleeker, but it was it was wasn't as I don't know heavily overly produced or highly produced. It was it was the way they did it was much more clever. Uh, they kind of kept it a little bit more real. This looked like a bad horror film. I don't know. I, I from what I saw of it, I really really couldn't get into it. I thought it was um, a little bit uh, too weird for me. And then I don't know for whatever reason, whenever WWE gets their hands on something that was successful elsewhere, it always fails and it's always never <laughs> quite as good. Do you agree with that, Shane? Well, I've seen it so many times, but like, I, I only saw a brief clip, uh, and the clip that I looked at, and maybe it was the way it was produced. I don't know. I don't want to sound like I'm talking from like having watched it, and I have a you know a keen view. But in the clip that I watched, I kept seeing it looked like people were like running and disappearing into thin air, 
and <laughs> going across the screen. And I thought to myself, like, I kept like, in my head, I'm thinking, like, okay, Bruno and this. <laughs> Bruno and, 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 like, in all these great wrestlers I grew up watching, and it just, look, I, I love the thing that Matt's doing with his character. I think it's fantastic. It's given a whole new dimension. Um, you know, at some points, I think a little bit overdone, but look, when you have something to dig your teeth into, on a character that that you you can see clearly enjoys playing, uh, that's ninety nine percent of the battle. But you know when you go into these things like when I saw like at the uh, I forget what pay per view it was I was paid to watch and I they had the uh, Bray Wyatt <laughs> and uh, Randy Orton uh, uh, haunted house match or abandoned house match or whatever. It's just like cause I'm watching I'm thinking like what is the point of this? Like is there supposed to be some ultimate outcome of this or is is it supposed to be a fight or is it just supposed to be, to me, it's just a segment that was meant to fill up a whole bunch of time. And to me, those are the worst segments in the world. Um, so again, I, uh, you know, I paid up front. I didn't watch the, the, the Matt Hardy Bray Wyatt uh, segment in Toto. I watched uh, a, a clip of it. And is what I'm saying, like resonating with you guys, does it make sense? Were they like disappearing into thin air and, like running yeah. across yep. the screen and like this, yep. they're there, they're not there. Like I was watching and thinking like, is, like I don't know. Like I've seen some pretty bad movies. I was in a bad horror movie. So you know, I know bad from, from good. And, uh, you know, like watching that thing, it just seemed like, wow. You know, like I, you know, I, I was expecting to see like a genie pop out of a bottle or something next. It just seemed awkward. And, and uh, all the stuff I dislike about the wrestling uh, the sports entertainment industry. Uh, not the, everybody knows I love wrestling, but all that I think ill of the sports entertainment genre was on display in that clip that I saw. So weird, like uh, what they were trying to accomplish, whatever. But you, you'll know this, and we've had on in our other show, the Superman Power Trip, we've had on Al Snow once before, who said that there's no way it would kind of. Um, do something wrong on purpose and just bury it because uh, it's a waste of money. And then we had Dr. Tom Pritchard on. He said the other thing. He would do stuff and just to make himself laugh, he would just throw something out there that he knew was bad and it was so bad it was good kind of thing. You think that the other side of the spectrum, do you agree with Dr. Tom that Vince would just do something so bad just almost to get a laugh out of himself? Absolutely. I've seen him do it. Um, you know, I, uh, I wasn't there this night, but like the segment – uh, you guys may be familiar with when uh, uh, Roddy Piper was there. It was either the last time or the next last time he was there. And they start playing his music, and he starts to the ring, and he gets, you know, 10, 15 yards past the, the gorilla position and out in front of the – and the music stops. And basically they did to make him walk to the ring without his music, which is sort of a considered inside the business a pretty good slight. And – uh, I could guarantee you that Vince was sitting in the back laughing, going like, <laughs> elbowing the guy next to one. Ain't this fucking great? Look at this. Huh? That's the way Vince thinks. You know, when you think about it, like, what do you get a billionaire for Christmas? You buy him a tie? He's got a closet full of them. Uh, if he wants something, he Rolex watch, he buys himself 10 of them. Uh, so to a guy like that, the way I've always took Vince was that this is a guy who enjoys screwing with other people's lives. Look, I'm so powerful, I can make people go on television and kiss my bare ass. Uh, which the whole thing to me seems bizarre. A, that anybody would do it for whatever amount of money. And B, 
that a grown man would want somebody else to do it. I love you guys both to death. I don't want either one of your sets of lips on my ass. Uh, <laughs> it's it, the whole thing Jane, is bizarre to me. So yeah, I agree completely with Dr. Tom. I've seen I've seen Vince do that, and to me, it's just a b- bizarre display, and and I think completely speaks about the kind of human being that he is. I'm going to use a great mind think alike uh, scenario here because that Piper instance that you're talking about is something that annoyed the shit out of me forever because I, I think I, maybe they did it to him twice, but the one that I remember really hating, they did a, uh, a segment for Hulk Hogan when he was still in the good graces where it was like a birthday party. So they were bringing out Hogan's nemesis, you know, and his greatest rivals and the NWO came out and Flair came out. And then there was like a pause and the Piper bagpipe hit. He comes around the corner with his hands on his hips, like, this is Roddy Piper, that's Hulk Hogan, you know, something's about to happen. He gets mm-hmm. right past the little group of people on the stage, and his music cuts, and they go to the next person. And I'm like, are you serious? Yeah. Where's the camera? Like, put the camera on yeah. him. What's he doing? Just the stare of him to Hogan, that, that's, that's it. That's all you need. And I, if that's the same one, that one has stuck out to me for years, and it's a shame that that could be one of the last times Piper was on TV. Yeah, now consider also that, you know, when you go back to WrestleMania 1, anybody that knows this industry and follows it closely or has been in it knows that Roddy Piper is considered the reason that WrestleMania 1 was a success. Um, You know, there was a lot of backstories, and I don't want to go into it too much here publicly, but uh, put it this way, had WrestleMania 1 not been a success, Vince could have had visits from some pretty bad people. And uh, so now look, you know, you, you guys do something like that for me. You can be a shithead to me later, whatever. I'm never for, going to forget that you guys helped me at the most critical juncture of my professional career as the owner of a company. And so to later see this go on, you know, did Roddy do things? Uh, counter to what Vince wanted? Yes, because Roddy Piper had a family to feed and kids to put through college and a roof to put over their head. And when uh, the guy behind the curtain, so to speak, at the WWE wasn't doing anything to help him, he had to do for himself. And as a guy that did that from the time he was a teenager uh, living on the streets, Roddy was somebody that was very well prepared to do that and very capable of doing that. But that somebody else, the guy, especially the guy trying to play games with you or screw you, however you want to term it, would take umbrage with you going and doing those other things to feed your family and put a roof over their head and take care of yourself is the part that makes it bizarre to me. Like, you're just like, you guys just lay under a rock someplace and starve until Shane Douglas decides to bestow on you my good graces. And if you don't do that, then we're going to have heat and I'm going to have to screw with you and fuck with you guys someplace down the road. That to me shows a very telling insight into Vince's psyche. So uh, crazy. Some of the stuff that you would think like a billionaire, you know, wouldn't really find some of the things funny that he does. Almost like, you know, childish humor, like, oh, I'm going to embarrass this guy or I'm going to make this guy look bad. Uh, Right. I don't know. It comes off a little silly to me. It, all, it always comes across to me as like, 
isn't this the kind of shit we used to do back in fifth grade? Like, I remember when I was in fifth grade and going, one time when I was in seventh grade, I was much older, I put a thumbtack on some girl's chair, so when she sat down, she got a thumbtack up the ass. <laughs> and I thought it was hilarious at the time. I I probably wouldn't do that today as a, as a grown-up. But, you know, you go back and look at those things, and it, it always analogizes in my brain back to those times. Like, that sounds like something I would have thought was funny when I was in fifth grade or sixth or seventh grade. Today, I think it's pathetic and sad for somebody of that age to be doing it and, and thinking that it's uh, chuckling under the breath thinks it's funny. Uh, bizarre. It's truly bizarre. Now, one thing that I saw um, come out, I guess it was today or yesterday, um, as far as WWE news is concerned, and it was really interesting to me, Paul Heyman will now be inducting Bill Goldberg into the WWE Hall of Fame and Chad said this to me, which I thought was funny. He said, you know, <laughs> they're long-lasting association together in and out yeah. of business, yeah. right, which is weird. The Dudleys, of course, are being inducted by Edge and Christian, and you obviously will not be inducting Bam Bam Bigelow because for some reason he is not being inducted this year, even though that was the big, big rumor. So what are your, your – first of all, let's just talk about Heyman first. What are your thoughts on Heyman inducting Goldberg? Is that weird? That the father of ECW is inducting Mr. WCW, Bill Goldberg. Well, again, considering that there is zero professional connection between their two careers, uh, that would be like me inducting, uh, I, I don't know, I'm trying to think of somebody that I, I have a close association with, Lupez. Okay, Shane Douglas is going to induct Lupez. Like, well, because I guess we all wore boots and tights at one point. Um it's, uh, I don't see the connection. I would have thought there were multiple other people more appropriate to induct Bill Goldberg. Um, you know, is it just that Vince is relying now because he knows that Paul's going to be able to get on the microphone and, you know, do a wonderful induction or God, the one thing I hope they don't do is try to shoot some kind of a silly angle off of it because that, that just, to me, seems like right up their, their juvenile alley. Um, you know, to me, if you're going to legitimize the Hall of Fame, which I don't think they've done as of yet, uh, put it as a brick and mortar place where fans can actually go, uh, hand over the, the induction process to a, uh, a nonpartisan group of people, including fans and writers and former wrestlers or former inductee, uh, inductees. Um, but I, I agree. I, I don't see a connection between these two that would warrant I mean, you know, if if uh, everybody knows my feelings on being inducted to the Hall of Fame, but if there were ever to come that day, I certainly wouldn't want uh, Joe Schmo to do it just because he's good on the mic or because he's a well-known entity at that time or whatever. I would want somebody that had some connection to me, some connection to my career and those things that I had done that were noteworthy in the business. So uh, I don't know. We'll have to all sit and watch and see what the uh if if an explanation is ever given but does certainly seem odd doesn't it now the only time they really ever interacted was last year when goldberg was feuding with lesnar and mm -hmm. you know obviously Heyman's the mouthpiece for lesnar the, the quote-unquote advocate so there was some interaction there i believe they had a little bit of screen time together and i believe goldberg may have speared him once outside of that they didn't have much interaction pretty much ever outside of the fact that I think we all know that they're both Jewish. That's basically the only kind of 
common denominator here. Um, I remember hearing, you know, many years ago, like Heyman was always high on Goldberg, thought he was good, blah, blah. Did you ever, ever hear of Heyman talking about Goldberg when you were in ECW and he was kind of ruling the roost in WCW? No. Uh, never heard Paul broach the subject, but Paul, that wasn't the kind of thing that Paul did. Like when, when any, you know, first of all, I didn't hang out with Paul Heyman. You know, it wasn't like, cause we were all in ECW at the same time that we went out in eight or so. I mean, I went out a couple times, even when we were at the studio or something, but you know, by and large, you know, Paul and our, Paul and I are not kindred spirits. So, uh, you know, when we were at work, it, it typically was about that particular night, that particular point in time, whatever discussions we were having. Um, so I, I never, ever heard Paul say anything good or bad about Bill Goldberg or anybody else in those companies at that time, other than to say, like, if somebody would, like they would do a segment, say Bischoff would do a segment in WCW with wrestler X, Y, or Z, and they would take a shot at ECW. You know, Paul might say, you know, fuck that piece of shit, whatever. But there was never a time when he said, like, this guy, this guy, and that girl uh, or woman, uh, I think, are fantastic in WCW, and I'd like to get my hands on them, or or that they suck and would never have them here. That, I never heard Paul speak in those terms. So uh, it does seem odd to me, but I do know that, you know, uh, Bill uh, does take his heritage very proudly, uh, rightfully so, and uh, you know, I, I, perhaps that's the, the, the connecting point. I don't know, but again, that's uh, it's a pretty steep push to me, especially in a business that is so aesthetic. Uh, with this complete lack of real connection between those characters, uh, I, I just don't see where it really comes off in play. But the one thing I'm certain of is when Paul inducts him, it will be an incredible speech. Now, Bam Bam Bigelow, I guess this is somewhat of recent rumors, came out sometime this afternoon that a couple of the sites are reporting that Bigelow won't be inducted this year, that since WrestleMania is in New Jersey next year, he'll probably be inducted then. Uh, it seems a little crazy because he was one of the first names I heard being inducted. So is it true that he's not being inducted because Vince is afraid of dealing with you, who is possibly going to be <laughs> inducting him? No. He, well, first of all, because Vince is the one that's in control of who's inducting, like I told fans on Twitter, uh, you know, if you're expecting that, then you're either a fool or you're gonna, you've been smoking something pretty damn powerful today because that's never, ever going to happen. Um, uh, I would think it would certainly be, uh, you know, warranted. And, uh, you know, if anybody knows my affinity for, for both Chris and Bam Bam knows, the last thing in the world I would ever do would be to make any of my public uh, umbrages with Vince, uh, a part of that induction. Uh, to me, that would be purely about Scott and reliving Scott's wonderful career and my friendship with him and my brotherhood with him. He's a triple threat. Uh, but clearly he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And, you know, if not this year, next year in New Jersey, uh, whoever inducts him uh, is going to have an awful lot of fodder to talk about because uh, he's one of those guys that sort of went unheralded for much of his career. And through much of his career, I, I believe, was known as the guy that wrestled a football player at WrestleMania, uh, as opposed to a guy who accomplished one hell of a lot, including becoming world heavyweight champion uh, in the industry. So, uh, you know, we'll see. 
you know, I, the one thing I'm certain of is at some point Bam Bam Bigelow should uh, get. Uh, but I would I would like to say is definitely going to be in the Hall of Fame, but you know, up there, you know, who knows? Like the, the snowman might get inducted next year. Um, it's uh, one of those big question marks, which I think puts a a black mark on the Hall of Fame. Uh, but you know, clearly, Bam Bam Scott Bigelow deserves to be in there, and regardless of who inducts him, he and his family have a right to, or at least his children, I should say, uh, have a right to relish what their father accomplished and that I'm sure they miss. I feel like if Jared was able to kind of mend fences somehow, some way and get in, I feel like Shane Douglas is right around the corner. I feel like Dean <laughs> Douglas is probably going to get in as well. <laughs> well, you're, you're the eternal optimist, right? I, we're <laughs> going to put you on like the, uh, on the weather channel or something. Tomorrow's going to be beautiful. Don't worry about the big snow clouds coming. It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> now, a little TMPT thing here. When we had on David Arquette a couple of weeks ago, we didn't get to talk about it last week, but I wanted to mention this to you because I thought it was so interesting. So we, you know, by the grace of God himself, we get on Arquette, big Hollywood movie star on, on our, our little show there, and mm-hmm. people start saying, because he made it basically – said that Russo, Vince Russo, obviously, was getting too much flack. Right. And we started to get a little flack online. Not anybody saying, like, oh, you know, wow, you know, you two Jabrones, you two Jabronis got on our set. And, <laughs> uh, you know, and Jeff Jarrett as well, you know, for, for like the uh, second or third time. But they were saying, you know, they were kind of saying, oh, our killed the business. He killed WCW. Russo helped him kill WCW. <laughs> and, we, and we just simply said, do you think that he was getting too much flack for it? And, uh, Arquette thought about himself that he got too much flack and he thought Russo got too much flack. It's 18 years later. We're still talking about this. What mm. are your thoughts? Do, do you think that they killed, quote unquote, killed WCW? Let's be completely clear here. Uh, WCW put a bullet. The, the people that ran WCW put a bullet right in WCW's head. Uh, when I, I just was reading this today and something completely unrelated that WC, the, the powers that be, Jamie Kellner and, and a lot of those other brain surgeons that were in control of thousands upon thousands of hours of incredible wrestling history. And a show that had just a year, year and a half before beat Vince 83, 84, 85 weeks, whatever it was in a row, um, this and and the week that we got sold did a 4.5 rating in in the ratings in a time slot that has done poultry ever since. So, calling brass tacks to brass tacks, uh, Jamie Kellner and and his brain trust were behind that. If I didn't know better, their deal is so ridiculous and so absurdly ridiculous that I would swear that Jamie Kellner was paid money by Vince. To, to have done that. Now, I'm not saying that I have any information of that or anything, but it's so ridiculous. I, who comes to you and says, hey, I've got a car that's worth $100,000 because I like you guys. I'll sell it to you for $1,500. Uh, <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. And uh, when you look at those numbers, the, the library and the sale of the company in all brought in like $4.7 or $4.8 million for everything. The the library alone, I'd like to know how much Vince has made just from that alone. 
let alone to shut down his main competition, uh, the only real competition to him at that time, uh, allowing him to, for all intents and purposes, monopolize an industry and a country where monopolies are supposedly not allowed. Uh, so, you know, very, very suspect. Had nothing to do with any particular singular angle, whether it was uh, David Arquette, whether it was uh, Shane Douglas or Ric Flair or anybody else. There was no one angle or one thing that did that. It was a singular decision made by Jamie Kellner to jettison uh, a, a very profitable, uh, maybe not at that particular point in time, but what had been a very profitable entity for uh, Jim Crockett, or not Jim Crockett, uh, uh, Ted Turner uh, entities, and to have sold it for that. And by the way, I don't know if, if I've talked about this on the show before, that sale prompted uh, Ted Turner to interrupt Jamie Kellner's first board meeting in, uh, uh, after they finally took over everything and, and uh, uh, Time Warner took over. And the meeting starts and the door opens and Ted Turner walks in and, of course, everybody stands up. Wow, this is Mr. Turner who started this and built this empire. He walks to the front of the room and Jamie Kellner extends his hand and welcomes him. And Ted Turner stuck his finger in his face and said, if you ever sell another piece of my company without conferring with me first, I'll make sure I'll see to it that you never work in this industry again, turned and walked out of the room. That's how ridiculous that sale was. Had nothing to do with David Arquette or uh, Jeff Jarrett or Vince Russo or anybody else in the company at that time. That was a unilateral decision made by an idiot who thought he knew what he was doing and clearly did not because you can go back and research the time slot. Since then, they've had nothing that's garnered even 25% of the rating that WCW did the week that we got sold. Uh, but again, that you're 18 years later still talking about it, you know, tells you that there was clearly something about that that on some level worked. Uh, I've said throughout my career, talk good about me, talk bad about me, just talk about me, meaning just keep me relevant. You know, if, if there's something to say, say, tell the world I'm the biggest asshole in the world. Uh, well, the heel, that's great. Tell her, please preach that from the mountaintops. Uh, but, you know, look, my experience with, with David when he came there, uh, he and Courtney Cox came, and uh, they were very approachable. They had no airs about them whatsoever. Uh, they were excited to be there, looking forward to, to performing and doing the best job they could because he was put in a position that I particularly wouldn't have put him in, uh, you know, to, to drop a world title to him, whatever. I, you know, I... I wouldn't have done that personally if I were in charge. Big Q, I wasn't in charge. I was a, a salary person on staff. So uh, it wasn't my decision to make. But you certainly can't sit there and say that the death of WCW falls squarely on his shoulders. It's all him and Vince Russo. Because uh, if that's the case, then let's get him booked up in uh, WWF and set him up there if that's all it takes. Uh, no, that was clearly mismanagement done by Jamie Kellner and his minions in WCW.
interesting part was just reading some of the tweets, and I'm not going to name the people, and I don't, I don't really don't remember, but there were some people saying, oh, you can't say that it was memorable and then say it wasn't a failure, this and that. And then you see a, a later tweet by them saying that, oh, Glacier was great. It was so memorable, as if that was a successful character. So sometimes people on Twitter don't actually make sense. But I agree with you that I think if it's memorable, it's memorable, and it's one of those moments people will never forget. Wait, let's go back to the last, one of the last lines you said. Sometimes on Twitter, people don't make sense. Uh, you know, I, I interact I interact with some fantastic people on Twitter and on social media. That's not to sit there and say that I'm, 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 I'm putting over the people that say good things about me. Uh, but I had a back and forth with somebody several months ago uh, who disagreed with something I said on the show, and it was pretty terse initially. But we went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But there was never this, screw you, you're an idiot, you're a piece of shit. There was nothing like that. It was just your point, my counterpoint, my point, your counterpoint, back and forth. And at the end of it, we both agreed to disagree and said, I said to the guy, you know, that was really cool. You know, that we could have that, that in-depth of a discussion, heated, and still finish it off with saying, hey, it was pretty pretty good conversation. That's the way, to me, that's what being an American is. And if I can just push in for a second, over this past weekend, I started hearing on several of the Sunday shows and on several of the outlets since uh, last week, people beginning to bring up the discussion of, the national discourse. In other words, if you and I disagree on a point, isn't that what America is supposed to be about? As opposed to you and I disagree on a point, now I've got to destroy you, attack you, demonize you, boycott you. There was a thing here in Pittsburgh. Uh, Trump, Donald Trump came to Pittsburgh several weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, to uh, campaign for the special election that was held here. Donald Trump Jr. stopped at a very famous Pittsburgh uh, uh, candy uh, manufacturer called Saris, S-A-R-R-I-S, Saris Candies. Uh, You grew up in Pittsburgh at some point during your life, probably every Easter, you eat Saris candy. And it's fantastic. Great, great, you know, wonderful company, very good, high-quality product. But because Donald Trump Jr. stopped there, some morons actually started a boycott Sarah's candy uh, thing because, my God, how dare that idiot stop there. So you run a business, a public business. Somebody opens the door and walks in. What are you supposed to say? You're not welcome here. You get out of here, you piece of shit. You're not allowed to buy my candy. It's ridiculous. It's absurd. If that's where the national discourse has gone, then we ain't but a couple steps away from flushing the country down the drain or bullets flying uh, because, you, you know, this kind of stuff, you've got to be able to disagree in this country. Uh, otherwise, it's a, back to another brick in the wall. Either you conform and be exactly like me and think and believe the same things I do, or I'm just going to kill you or destroy you. So take your pick. You can bleach your hair and, and uh, uh, get a whole lot of wrinkles and be a former wrestler and believe everything I believe, or we can just hang you from the nearest tree. Uh, take your pick. That's crazy. That's insanity in this country. I feel like Trump's and 
Donald Trump have more heel heat than Shane Douglas ever had as a franchise in ECW. And I think that's saying a lot, which is, which is, you know, pretty high praise, I think. Yeah. And whose neck did he ever break? I mean, come on, what the hell? I, I should have way more heat than Donald Trump. Come on. He's, he only threatened to shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue in downtown New York. I, I actually broke somebody's neck on television. Come on, Jesus. No, if you're right, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's absurdity. You know, one is one. I don't know. We can go down this rabbit hole as many times as we, we have in the past. But uh, I, I just think we've reached a point where we can't disagree without destroying and demonizing or trolling each other that we've we've clearly missed the point of what this country is supposed to be and the history that it's been built upon and i i I just think it's a very very sad pathetic period in american history if you think about it the wrestling business and the journalist aspect and this is why i want to mention this specifically to chad to get his perspective on it because i know he was very big and very adamant on this wrestling fans and Chad, correct me if I'm wrong here, they don't really argue, really, not really argue, but they don't really, like me and my friends and, and Chad, obviously, was part of that group, too. We used to kind of say, oh, you know, Shawn Michaels sucks, Bret Hart's great. We can, you, know, you go back and forth and certain things. But the journalist aspect and the fan aspect and the trolling aspect, it's like you can't really have a common sense argument or a common sense no. conversation with the wrestling fan, even. The fans have even gotten nuts. Yeah, well, and the reason being because this is what people think, how they think you're supposed to respond. So it, because I, I see it and, every, you know, the, the media covers it. How many times do you turn on one of the fake news entities do you see, well, here's the point we're trying to make, and here's a, a Twitter uh, response that we got from Joe Blow from XYZ USA. And just because he says something that's in that narrative and it's usually in pretty terse terms and pretty crass terms. They put it on the air. And they think, the fake news outlet thinks, that that makes their point. Look how pissed off average Americans are about this or that or the other thing. Um, and so after years of that now, and the social media is taking such a preponderant role in how average Americans receive their news daily, that's how people think you're supposed to respond. So you say something that I don't like or do something I don't like. It can't just be, hey, dude, I don't like that. Instead, I'm going to say, hey, you piece of shit, you moron, you jackass, blah, 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 and keep attacking you and asking all the people that follow me on the social medias to attack you and demonize you and try to destroy you and hurt you. Uh, That's the point I don't get. Now, look, somebody hurts my family does something to my kids, fair game. Fair season, we're going to destroy you, or certainly attempt to. Uh, But to disagree on a certain point, or because I come and visit your business, and now suddenly people start saying, you know, boycott JP's business because that piece of shit Shane Douglas was there. That's insanity. I mean, honest to God, you know, grow up, everybody. Really? That's, you know, I I guess it's tantamount because I walk into your business. That's tantamount to you telling the world you agree with everything I believe just because I came and bought your product. Um, Like I said to the 
to the one moron that tried to troll me one day on Twitter, you know, because I retweeted something and they said, well, tell, because you retweeted that tells what kind of person you must be. Okay. So because I agree with JP or Chad today, does that mean I've agreed with every point you've ever made in, in history? Uh, we're, we're complete triplets now. I agree with one point you, one of you guys said, and therefore everything you've ever said, I'm in agreement with and I support. And so you can apply all your comments and beliefs to me because I retweeted something you said. That's pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. Uh, I don't know if anybody I've universally agreed with on every topic, including my mother and father, who I love dearly. Uh, just crazy. I mean, we've, we've like I've been saying how for how long we've done gone down the rabbit hole through the through the looking glass because this ain't the America that I know. I, I could get really rolling here because there's a lot of stuff that uh, I feel very strongly about, and and one of those things is, and I put this on our run sheet, and John kind of alluded to it, just the kind of way uh, wrestling's getting covered these days. Uh, there's a lot of outside wrestling quote media outlets that are covering wrestling that may not be trying to cover wrestling in a positive light. Maybe they're trying to be a little more salacious or they're trying to treat it, you know, like, a, like the mainstream sports are. Like we all know Japan covers wrestling just like they would their regular sports. Yes. But the difference is the way it's covered here is a little bit different. And I still find it very uneasy. Now it's different. I'm going to take Sports Illustrated out of the equation only because the way Sports Illustrated covers wrestling, and Shane, you've, you've been interviewed for Sports Illustrated's wrestling uh, yeah. column. They, they set it up as it's a novelty to the Sports Illustrated brand. Not that it's a part of the, you know, it, this is something that is, is covered in the light of pro wrestling on Sports Illustrated. This is, we're giving you this gift, right? But I'm looking at co- mm-hmm. places like, For- like Forbes and, and Pace Magazine and Deadspin. Right. And, you know, the mirror in the U.K., uh, the sun, you know, like all these outlets that are now covering wrestling are exposing, quote, journalists to a business that they don't understand. And one example here, and this is going to be a little bit of an out there example. And, Shane, I don't know if you saw this, but do you remember a couple of months ago uh, the, the hullabaloo caused by Marty Jannetty and, and some of the things he was saying about his, his quote, daughter that I, we don't know if it's really his daughter. You know how Marty Jannetty is. Some of the things he says are a little out there. <laughs> Did you happen to see the coverage that this, these comments he made has received? I, I don't recall them on the top of my head, but I know exactly the vein that you're talking about of, you know, people taking some point and, and running with it. Uh, so, you know, it's uh, – but I agree with where you're going with it. So you can continue your question. Yeah, so basically, so people who don't understand the wrestling business that are starting to cover wrestling – are bringing the elements of, of the mainstream journalism, the snowflake, the sensitive nature of, of, <laughs> of how news is reported. They're bringing it into wrestling. And, and we've talked about Vince Russo a couple times tonight, but Vince Russo is battling it uh, right on the, uh, the, the, you know, the front lines because he got dropped by Podcast One last week because of the outcry right. by a, quote, journalist of professional wrestling who didn't like some of the things he was saying. And he has right. uh, kind of created a little bit of a, a of a stir to get podcast one to drop him. Then other writers who kind of lambasted Russo in the past jumped on and, and created a pretty big shitstorm. So I kind of got to ask you this. 
you've seen the dirt sheets evolve from a Wade Keller and a Dave Meltzer to what it is now. Are you shocked by how wrestling covers these days, especially with this, you know, now infusion, a little bit of this snowflake journalism going on? Well, no question. I mean, let, let's first of all start with the basic crux of journalism, uh, especially in this country, has got to start with the First Amendment. And, you know, everybody claims they know what the First Amendment is. Uh, you know, I, I don't know it as well as some other scholars may know it as deeply, but I can tell you I know it better than probably 99% of the population uh, because I taught it and I've studied it for years and I relish the First Amendment. Uh, I relish the entire Constitution, which seems to be taking a less and less important rule today uh, in national affairs. But, you know, here's the thing about the First Amendment. You know, we've all heard in, in our 10th grade civics class that freedom of speech doesn't give you the right to yell fire in a crowded theater. And, and, and that's a pretty loose interpretation of it. But what the First Amendment does is it gives you your freedom of speech. You can say what you believe in, uh, and you are not supposed to be attacked or destroyed for it. That doesn't mean everybody's going to like or agree with what you say. Anybody can, you know, you can voice your opinion, and, and JP and I can walk away and say, boy, that Chad, he's a real jerk, believe in that. And that's all right. Uh, but should we have the right to then go out and attack and destroy you and then call uh, you know, all the outlets for the TMPT show and for the, uh, the triple threat podcast, with the franchise Shane Douglas and say, it should all be sanitized off. Let's attack all of it because that no good POS, that piece of shit, we disagree with something he said or something that we don't like. So now attack him. That is the very purpose of the first amendment. Now, if you go out and say something that, uh, slanders or libels somebody, one of us or uh, the, uh, you know, the outlets that carry this podcast or your podcast on the TMPT show, that's something different. But that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about in the Vince Russo case, somebody attacking. And I look up front, I don't agree with everything that Vince Russo says. How, in, in fairness of openness, I'm friends with Vince Russo. I, I like Vince. Uh, but that doesn't mean I support and believe everything he's ever spoken about or agree with every aspect of his booking over time or whatever else. But that's the whole point of the first amendment is that each of us has a right to speak our mind, provided we don't slander or libel somebody else and not be attacked or destroyed for it. So I would have to ask the entities that dropped Vince Russo's podcast because these snowflakes went and complained about it. Do they believe in the first amendment? And if so, how do they then back their argument for their, for their position of what they did. Uh, now, I don't know. I've never listened to every second of, uh, of Vince Russo's podcast, and I'm sure he said some things that pissed people off. And I don't know if he's ever slandered libeling, but I, I doubt that he did because Vince is a pretty smart guy. But here's a big news flash for everybody. Professional wrestling is meant to piss some people off sometimes. That's how we draw you in. That's the whole point of if we all go out there and play the super nice guy that helps old ladies across the street and pulls cats out of the tree, then you're never going to see anybody buy a ticket to go see pro wrestling. But this gets back to what I've been talking about for 40 previous episodes. And now tonight, my first amendment right does not mean that I can go out and say, 
you know, you guys are both drug dealers because that's slandering and libeling you. And, but if I go out and say you guys are both pieces of garbage or you're saints that walk on water, that's my right to say that. And I shouldn't have to fear repercussion of losing a job or a position of extolling those, those, those points of view just because somebody, no matter who it is, if it's President Trump or Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama that come out and say they can't stand my points of view, that's irrelevant. You have your right to your point of view. I have my right to mine. I would say shame on the entity that, that dropped podcast one that dropped that, that, uh, uh, the Trusos podcast, if that's the only thing behind it. My guess is probably something more at work, uh, but I would hope, at least hope that there was something else at work because if it's gotten to a point where it just takes a few people calling and putting some pressure and saying, hey, we didn't like this. Well, if that's where we are in this country, then the First Amendment no longer holds any value and has been flushed down the drain. And I see this all over the place. I see the entire Constitution under assault where people disagree with one point or another point. I heard something on, 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 on uh, television over the weekend, and it was so simple yet so eloquent that I want to repeat it. The Constitution is not partisan. It's neither liberal or conservative. It is simply a statement of the values and the laws that govern this country. If suddenly they become partisan, be it liberal or conservative, then there's a whole lot of people that are at risk. Let's say today it goes conservative, uh, becomes a conservative point of view. Well, that means there's a whole lot of liberals out there that are in trouble. Likewise, if it becomes liberal and partisan in that view, then there's a whole lot of conservatives out there that are in trouble. It cannot and has never been partisan for that reason. Uh, somebody sent me an email last week with a whole bunch of quotes from Thomas Jefferson. And I'll forward it to you guys tomorrow in our email so you can take a look at it. And as I read through them, here's the crazy part. We keep on hearing this, this mantra, right? Well, the founding fathers had no way of knowing about how technology would change and this and that and the other thing. With the intent and the underlying intonation being that their points of view are now irrelevant. It doesn't, it doesn't apply today. They're old guys that are washed up and they're dead anyway, so who cares? Um, go back and you read these Thomas Jefferson quotes and tell me if you don't think they're more applicable today than they've ever been, certainly more so than when he was alive. Uh, the idea of the Constitution, to me and to many scholars, is that it's a living, breathing document as alive as you or I are. And all of us are amenable and flexible to taking on new ideas and accepting new concepts and seeing a change in the world. I mean, look how much change we've witnessed in our lifetime. None of us are going on a sit-down strike or a, star a hunger strike saying, well, because this particular thing has happened and I don't like it, that's it. I'm just going to raise as much hell as I can and, and, and hold my breath because I don't, it's not the way I want it to be. Go back. Like I said, I'll send these to you tomorrow. And I would love to hear your feedback as to if you believe that these quotes from Thomas Jefferson, who died back in the very early portions of the 19th century, and tell me if those quotes are not more applicable today than when he was alive. The problem is, everybody seems to think, well, God, how could anything from 250 years ago nearly 
be applicable today. That's ridiculous. That was a million years ago to a 15 or a 16 year old kid. That was, you know, a millennia. That was a million years ago. Possibly mean anything today. Go back and read them now. In fact, I'm going to post them on Twitter tomorrow, piece by piece, because you only get 280 uh, 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 characters now. But <laughs> yeah. I'm going to post them, and I, I want everybody to tell me if they don't think those are more relevant today than they were when Thomas Jefferson wrote them. Uh, you know, this I know this sounds like like the crazy franchise is going off another tangent, but the Constitution is the bedrock of this country. If we just casually, because we don't like a particular point about it today, for instance, there are several things that have gone uh, uh, through the Supreme Court that I personally don't agree with. But when they've gone through the Supreme Court and they've been vetted to the highest court in the land uh, and they become law, then you, you can't sit back and say, well, that's it. I'm going to throw the whole damn thing out and flush it down the toilet because I don't agree with it anymore. Uh, because the next round might support what you believe in and probably will support what you believe in. It's a living, breathing document, amenable to the times they're in. It's as applicable today as the day it was written and the day it was ratified and must be adhered to. Now, does that mean we can't make changes to it? There's a very specific way that that, con that, that contract with the country can be amended. It's not easy, and it wasn't easy by intention, but it's been uh, altered many times over the course of the history of this country and could be done so again. If anybody who, whatever particular point of view, again, nonpartisan, I haven't staked any side in anything I've just said, but if whatever side believes that they think the Constitution is wrong, they have every right to take that fight to a constitutional convention and amend the contract that is the Constitution. Why don't we see anybody doing that? Instead, we just see this wanton disregard for portions of it, overlooking of other portions of it. And if I just go out and yell louder, longer than you do, then my point is right and your point is wrong. Maybe, and as everybody knows, maybe Shane Douglas is just a big mouth and a lot of hot air, and you guys aren't quite as loud and as brass as I am. So does that mean I'm right all the time and that all my points take over and we just supersede your rights as Americans or should it take some other path? Me personally, I believe we should take some other path. Yeah. And did the critics of Thomas Jefferson, you know, then take to their social platforms, you know, and motherfuck him and say that he's a piece of shit and this and that. And that's kind of where, you know, I want to kind of close my point on the journalists now that are covering not just wrestling, it's every media, the language that's used to describe things, the accusations that are thrown out there, the just the, I don't know if they just search the adjective and verb dictionary to come up with uh, different descriptive words to, to come up with people, to, to call people, because it, it's out of control that you say, Shane, you can go out there, and, and I, if you're referencing the, the exchange that I can recall that you had with somebody you were going with a straight argument, and then the guy, you know, whoever it was, they turned to, they, they, they insult, they called you an asshole, they called you, right. uh, you know, like you're washed up piece of shit. And one thing, and this is even a <laughs> sidebar to that, whenever we post something about the show, and I check out the comments just because I want to see what's going on, 
people go right to saying, oh, is, uh, is Shane taking a break from working at Walmart or is he working at Kmart? Isn't that because they've driven the narrative <laughs> in the WWE yeah. that, you know, Ric Flair says it once on TV. So now it's gospel that everybody has to vilify you for trying to make a living after your wrestling days. So it's those kinds of things that journalists that, that have now taken into wrestling have lost all credibility because they're just taking the easy way out of stuff. And they're writing very simplistic uh, articles that have a lot of descriptive words that mean nothing. And then when they're challenged on it, they start motherfucking you and calling you names and, and, and treating you exactly. like a piece of shit. And it's just gotten out of control. I just, I, I can't fathom from a fan perspective, digesting it, but I can't imagine from a performer perspective like you having to sit and watch this happen as well. Well, look, like I said before, talk good about me, talk bad about me. I could really care less what some troll, uh, when he can write up, you know, something he thinks is sort of, uh, 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 you know, some quip that he thinks is sort of hip or cool or going to play to some audience. Uh, in the exchange you're talking about, uh, I remember reading somebody saying, oh, he's just going to be relevant. You know, I, there's not a thing I can change about the past. There's not, I can't wave a magic wand and undo any wrong I've done in the past uh, or change anything in the past. But newsflash to an idiot that would say that, I am relevant in the wrestling business because of my legacy and my history in the wrestling and this business. Because you're in mommy's basement writing on a, on a computer that you're dead for, uh, for the server hardly makes you relevant. Uh, the difference is one of us is stab at fulfilling a dream. The other one is rolling and whatever else. Me, I got so many more. Like tonight, how busy I was just trying to get back home and on the air with you guys tonight. I've got enough other things that I'm going positively uh, in my life. I don't have time to sit there and worry about I'm going to troll somebody. I mean, you know, really get a life. But, you know, like I've said before, and I'll say this again, so be as completely clear as I can on this. If I had to dig ditches tomorrow to feed my children, if I had to cart garbage tomorrow to feed my boys and put them through college, if I had to go out uh, barring any illegalities, there isn't a thing that I'm above doing to take care of my boys. Uh, for anybody out there that seems think that they're above something then i can't wait for life to grab them uh because you're gonna have a tough time of it i hope you have enough therapy pets and safe spaces to get you through uh but i I'm, i come from a family of hard workers and i am certainly not averse or above hard work uh anybody who claims that they are uh or that they claim they know something about my past uh, then let, let's have a discussion because I can certainly overwhelm you with the facts, but facts don't seem to carry much weight anymore. Now it's just let me scream louder and longer than you do, and that makes me right and you wrong. Um, you know, it's uh, I remember a professor uh, when I was teaching at the West Virginia Governor's Honors Academy in 1985. Uh, there was a kid in class. It was a bit of a jackass and kept trying to challenge the teacher. And one day she said, uh, you know, let me explain something to you. She said, there are certain altruisms 
in the universe. Two plus two equals four. It doesn't matter if you're here on Pluto or the other side of the universe. Uh, uh, two hydrogens and oxygen uh, create a mole of water. It doesn't matter if you're here on Pluto or the other side of the universe. So yes, there are altruisms and there are things that are right and things that are wrong. And if you can't wrap your brain around that, then maybe you need to go back uh, to elementary school and, and learn again. Uh, so for those people that think that they know something that they don't know, just because they read something on the social medias, <laughs> which <laughs> garners a chuckle from me just because it's so absurd. I mean, I've read everything on the social medias about me. Uh, the fact that people are talking is fine, but when you start going into trying to draw a narrative off of that, in other words, I know Chad JP because on the social medias, I read that you guys are blankety blank, 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 blank. Well, there you go. I got you guys figured out. Doesn't matter if I've ever met you, if I know you, I read on the social medias, therefore it must be true, which takes me back to when I was growing up, the National Enquirer and the, and, and the, 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 the supermarket tabloids. You know, I read it in the National Enquirer, so it must be true. And it seems like lately we're getting to a point where I saw it on, on some fake news outlet or I saw, you know, saw it on a social media, therefore it must be true. Uh, if that's where we've gone, then truly as a nation, we have failed. Uh, the barbarians are at the front gate, and for the trolls out there who don't know what that means, look it up, you might learn something. Uh, those who fail to learn history lessons are doomed to repeat its mistakes. Uh, I'm a pretty good purveyor of history, and... Uh, uh, I am not above dirtying my hands to feed my family and would do so again tomorrow if I had to. Uh, if the people that are saying that are not willing to do that, I suggest you don't have kids. I suggest you stay in mommy's basement and continue to troll online because it's safe. It's a safe space. Nobody's going to attack you in mommy's basement. Nobody's going to challenge you on your thoughts. But when somebody challenges you back with facts, don't just yell and scream and hold your breath and think that makes you right. It doesn't, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and, and it, but that seems to be the nature of where we've gone today. Journalism in this country is dead. Uh, you know, it, it's pretty simple. Like when I look at all these stories that are coming up today, most of these things could have been put away months, if not years ago, if the major news outlets in this country had done their job, and investigatively report, uh, reported on these things. I uh, investigated them, reported on them, and dug into the stories. Instead, they just go with this, you know, entity put this story out, and therefore we're going to back it. Or this uh, 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 department and government said that this is, you know, figure, you know, uh, narrative A is what they believe in. And so that's, that's, that's important because this department said it, it's gospel truth. Nobody's ever vetted it. Nobody, no, nobody in, in, in quote unquote journalism has gone out and dug in to find out if they're being lied to, if, if the story is accurate. NTA put this story out and therefore we believe them. That's a government that can take advantage of you uh, and I believe has done so and will continue to do so. 
just because some entity in government tells me that it's going to be sunny tomorrow doesn't mean I put my coat away and my umbrella away. Uh, I still pay attention to the weather and even go outside and look and check to see if they're accurate. But we've gotten to a point now where it seems to me that there's so many people saying, well, the FBI said this, and therefore it must be true, because they would never lie to me. Uh, me, I've always come down the side of, I'm not very trustful of government, and I verify everything I hear, read, and see from government twice or thrice. But it seems to me that today there's an awful lot of people saying, well, so-and-so from this department said it, and therefore it must be the gospel truth, as if God above himself wrote it and decreed it. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I've been a lot of shitheads in my life that lie like a rug. And since human beings are running those places, it would seem to me that they're as prone to lying as the shitheads and the liars that I've met in my life. So sorry if I just don't buy it because so-and-so said it so. Uh, I believe in verification. What was it Ronald Reagan said? Trust but verify. Uh, write that in stone and put it above the, all the halls of government. Hey, can we have, uh, instead of the barbarians at the gates, can we just have the barbarian and maybe even uh, Haku at the gate of our secret uh, triple threat podcast society? Can we keep them out there? We're safe. We put them at the front door of the, uh, of the uh, what's, it, what's Superman's place called? The, uh, the Fortress of Solitude. <laughs> the Fortress of Solitude, yeah. If we put them out front of the, uh, the triple threat podcast, Fortress of Solitude, we're safe. They're you could say the U.S. Army, the Russian Army, and the Chinese Army, and we're safe. Haku and Barbarian are, are, are guarding us. We're safe. <laughs> now, it kind of it's a great segue into the story that I wanted to get to last week as well, but we had such a great time with, uh, with PJ. I didn't want to take away from the episode at all, and that is this fabulous Moolah uh, controversy and, you know, craziness that's been going on for the last couple of weeks. Now, we're a little late for the party because the story is a few weeks old, but it's a story that, in essence, will never get old because it's going to constantly be a debate, and it ties into that same exact narrative that we were just talking about, is the, the media taking something and building a huge story out of it. So now, obviously, if you didn't know, I'm sure you do, but if you didn't, the WWE has a battle royal at WrestleMania for the men called the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. What they decided to do was for this year's WrestleMania with the women's evolution of wrestling taking place in the WWE, they decided to honor the fabulous Moolah, somebody who has worked for Vince McMahon Sr. and was a, a close confidant of the McMahons forever. They decided to name a battle royal, the fabulous Moolah Memorial Battle Royal. Well, within days, uh, Snowflakes or whoever you want to say took to Twitter and jumped out there to say, the fabulous Moolah did X, Y, and Z throughout her career. You should not honor her. Snicker is the main backer and uh, supporter and uh, advertiser of WrestleMania threatened to pull the plug. So the WWE pulled the plug on the name, the fabulous Moolah Battle Royal, and now it's just a women's battle royal. So Shane, I sent you the article so you can kind of educate yourself as to what's going on, but the uh, legacy of the fabulous Moolah has been completely trounced and is now seemingly going to be erased from history. And whether or not some of the accusations that are thrown out there are true, 
I think this is a little uh, – it's a little out there that this much outrage has taken place for somebody that has these stories that have been kind of out and about in the wrestling world for years and years. Well, you, know, you just said a word. You don't know if it's true. Um, my guess would be, as, you know, as I looked online on, on some of the links that you sent, and they, they were you know, the, the Twitter responses and stuff, it looks to me like – it's impossible that any of those kids could have known if, if it's true or not either. Uh, as I read through, I, I printed these off to make sure I could quote them properly. Uh, what was it that some of the people said? Uh, that uh, Mula, uh, and it was put up in a way that it made it sound like that she had done something wrong. Uh, here it is. Uh, a former trainee uh, describes a tortuous environment within Mullah's compound uh, under the so-called tutelage of the then living legend whose influence dominated women's wrestling at the time. Women were charged rent in addition to training fees of $1,500. Oh my God. You mean if this woman, this legend wrestler actually charged people to train them and charged them rent where she, where they stayed? Uh, What is so, what was she supposed to give them free food and free boarding and, train them for free. Uh, look, I, up front, in the fairness of, of, of openness, I wasn't there. I never trained with Mula. I knew Mula uh, as somebody that I had known since before I broke into the business. Uh, she was on several of the shows that I talked about before the, when I was a senior in high school and we performed on a WWF show in the New Brighton High School and uh, some earlier events. Uh, you know, it's not going to come as a surprise to anybody that Mula probably wasn't perfect. But when you look at a person who broke into this industry when she did, a completely male-dominated industry, in the time that she did, uh, here, here's something that – let me take a step back before I go any further about Mula. All this, let's tear these statues down because today, at this point of time, somebody doesn't like them. Uh, here's a newsflash. There's not a thing that – you, me, or these people bitching can go back and change something in the past. You know, this country had slavery for hundreds of years. Doesn't make it right, but there's not a thing that you can do here in 2018 today to wave a magic wand and sanitize that stain off of this country. It is what it is. And at the time that it was being done in this country, several people, including the governmental institutions, meaning the people that ran government at that time believed that it was okay to have at that time or they wouldn't have had it. Uh, if the people at that time, like, so today the people that troll this stuff and say they want these statues torn down, do they believe that they're so perfect that uh, the people back then were such horrible human beings and nowhere near as, as uh, altruistic and perfect as the people today are. Remember I gave the example 200 years from now and trust me, the things I've seen in the last couple of years wouldn't surprise me at least for it to happen. But let's say 200 years from now or 50 years from now or 500 years from now, they pass a law that says that anybody that ever owned a pet is a, that's tantamount to slavery and are horrible human beings. It sounds ridiculous, right? No more ridiculous than owning a slave back then would have sounded. 
And again, I'm not proponing for slavery. So please don't come on tomorrow and troll me because you think you've got me figured out because of one particular comment. I'm making a point. And the point being that history is a, is a, a snapshot in time. And there's nobody that I've found yet that can go back and change that snapshot in time just because of something that they didn't like or didn't agree with. So go with the narrative that 50 years from now, 100 years from now, 500 years from now, somebody passes a law or the belief starts to circulate that owning a pet was tantamount to slavery. Well, how many people listening to this podcast, how many people in this country, how many people in this world, 50, 100, or 500 years from now, will all be dead and gone, but how many people then look back and say, Chad and JP, you guys were pieces of shit because you own pets. I just heard your cat right before we came on the air, JP, so I know you do. Uh, so <laughs> are we all just pieces of garbage? Are we just lesser human beings because somebody so far down the line in history is going to look back and say, we're pieces of garbage because I owned a pug, you owned a cat, uh, JP. And Chad, do you own pets? Come on, come clean. Come clean now. Sanitize your soul. I can't. I don't own a pet. I'm sorry. I, I, I don't oh. support slavery. I don't support slavery. I'm sorry. <laughs> see, he, Chad walks on water. See, he's safe 500 years from now. But you see the point I'm making? It's an, is it an absurd analogy? Absolutely. But no more absurd saying this to somebody who was born into a country and a world that thought that was proper, believed it was proper throughout their lives, because the government upheld it. Uh, it was an institution that was as relevant then as churches are today, as social media is today. And yet, looking back, we can see the heinousness of it. The problem is we're looking back from 2018. If we could go into a time machine and pull ourselves back in 1860, 1820, 1790, and before, and look at that and say, well, if we were born into those times, each of us would have believed it was as right as social media and pet ownership today is. The future can look back every single time and find fault with something somebody did. Uh, who knows? There may be a time in the future when people look back and say, can you believe that women in the 20th and 21st century actually aborted babies that or that uh, somebody believed that knocking down statues of something that somebody th thought was wrong was an abhorrent thing. Uh, you could take in a narrative you want on any side of the fence, and yet none of us can see down the road and, and, and know what history is going to portend. So for us to sit here today and try to say, we're so much better than those people in the 1860s or the 1750s or the 1630s, because we know this today and we have all this information at our fingertips. Why well, be willing to bet that 500 years from now or four or 300 years from now, somebody can look back and say, well, you owned a pet. You must be a piece of shit um, using that particular narrative. So, you know, to me, this is just another point of folly that we're sitting here and trying to apply uh, worldviews, gestalts, on a, a generation that's been dead and gone for, in some cases, hundreds of years. 
and believing ourselves and telling ourselves that we're better human beings than those people were uh, just because of one particular point of view. You can't, you can't jive 2018 with 1860 or even 2010. They're completely different points in time. And until somebody comes up with that elusive time machine to be able to go back in time, I'd like to see how many people today that think they can pass that judgment, if there were such a machine, would willingly jump into that machine and say, you know what, I'm going to go back to 1860, and I'm going to go to those plantations in the South, and I'm going to tell them all what pieces of shit I think they are. My guess is there aren't too many, at least not too many that, are, that have a brain in their head. Um, the same thing with any of these points. Likewise, I don't think that anybody 500 years from now will want to get into that time machine and come back to today and say, JP, you're a piece of shit because you own a cat um, or that I owned a pug. You see what I'm saying? I mean, I know this is a crazy analogy in drawing it together, but we to try to apply the lessons that we know today and apply the gestalt that we have in our worldview today on a time that's dead and gone and relegated to the, history, the pages of the history book is about as folly as trying to pick up mercury or wait for the, uh, the blue bird of happiness to come singing to you tomorrow. They're all folly. And it's not applicable. You can't apply 2018 to 1860 any more than you can apply 3100 to 2018. Uh, it just doesn't work that way. If that were the case, I mean, you go back and look throughout history, it's easy for us to sit here on our high horses and say, aren't we perfect human beings today? Well, to that, I would say, pick up a newspaper, look out the window, Walk down a street. We have people today chopping people's heads off because they believe in a certain faith different than theirs. Uh, we have people being shot in major cities in this country simply because other people disagree with their, their points of view, their gestalts. We have uh, people in this country ready to fight to the death, apparently, seemingly, because we hold different points of view. So I would put out an argument, I'd float an argument for discussion that we're no better than the people in 1860, in some ways probably not as good, in some ways maybe better, but period to period, we're the same thing as they were. We're fallible human beings that make mistakes, and a thousand years from now, they will be fallible human beings that make mistakes. You can't apply that time frame to 2018 any better than you can apply 2018 to 1860. Now, one of the things that said is that she would quote pimp out trainees, whether it's to uh, guys that were trying to have sex with them or, or take pictures of them. That's, that's one thing that that's again, accusations, uh, people referencing Luna Vachon, obviously Luna Vachon can't defend herself right now or, or substantiate the claims because she's unfortunately no longer with us. A couple other right. trainees have come forward, but, but here we go. Listen to this. Here are the other really nefarious things that the fabulous Moolah used to do in professional wrestling. Folks who don't cover professional wrestling, I want you to hear this. Ready for this, Shane? Let's see if you, how egregious this is to you. She would hold them back if they were showing signs of surpassing her. 
Now, could you see anybody <laughs> in wrestling not being the fabulous role of doing that? I've never in my entire career seen anybody do that except everybody. That is a completely okay. normal thing in our industry. I mean, I, has anybody heard my discussions about Ric Flair over the years? Uh, exactly. exactly. It, it's what happens in this industry, and that's what I said. When I read those links today, pretty much everything that jumped off there came out to me as being – one of two things, either completely normal in this industry, normal as normal as this industry is going to get, which is not going to be very normal. But uh, the other parts of it, you know, like the, like the the part of the accusation that she pimped out certain people, uh, that's the first I've ever heard that anywhere in the industry. I never heard any whisper of that in the business. I've never heard anybody speak ill of Mula in the business. Um, and I've known her since before I broke into the business. So my question, again, I wasn't there. I wasn't a fly on the wall. I didn't re- have a video camera that recorded these, these, these things either happening or not happening. I just find it very convenient that when she's dead and gone, suddenly a whole bunch of people want to come out and, and you can see it in, 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 the, in those responses that were in those articles from the social medias. People, you know, recounting the narrative that is the story, and yet none of them knew Moolah. None of them were there. Uh, They're taking – so if I go out tomorrow and say, uh, I saw wrestler so-and-so molesting children, does that mean that you just come out tomorrow and say, well, that's it. Wrestler so-and-so needs to be destroyed, demonized, and – sanitized from the pages of history. They don't deserve the right to make a living because Shane Douglas made an accusation. I provided no evidence, no supporting information other than Shane Douglas said, and Shane Douglas was in the business. So therefore it must be true. Uh, Boy, if that's all it takes, uh, then Boy, we're, we're much further down the road to destruction than I thought we were. Uh, if there's evidence, bring it forward. Uh, I would never defend anything like that if, if Mullah did do those things. But the stuff that I read, most of them were things that were completely normal. She charged rent. She charged to be uh, – she took a cut of the payoffs for the people that, that she booked. Those are completely industry standards. You know, if, if you're planning on breaking into the business and you want Shane Douglas to book you and I get you booked, don't bitch if I take 5 or 10% of your, of your pay because without me booking you and getting you booked, you wouldn't be getting that payoff, any of it, 0% of it. That is an industry standard. And it ain't just in professional wrestling. That's in every industry where people are taught something like this. So, uh, you know, the parts about – she pimped people out. Like I said, that, that is the first I've ever heard that when I read it today. That was the first I ever heard anything like that. And again, I wasn't there. And if she did do those things, then she deserves whatever demonization she gets off of that. But again, does 2018 apply to that point, that, that time frame? I would find it suspicious in this sense. If she was pimping somebody out, and none of them ever called authorities or recorded any information to 
uh, underscore and prove what it is they're saying now. How many decades later? I find that very suspicious because I would think that if somebody was doing that to me, and I speak to somebody that came up in this business and had a lot of wrongs done to me, but if somebody along the way was doing something that egregious to me, I would have kept a log, I would have kept pictures, I would have kept some kind of information to prove that down the road, even if I don't think anybody ever believed me, at least I'll be able to prove to myself that I was correct, that I, I had it right. So until I see information like that, I'm sorry if I don't just willingly jump on the bandwagon and believe somebody because they said it. Because again, like I said earlier, I've met a lot of freaking liars in my life and in my career. And that kind of thing is just a step beyond until I see proof of it more so than just somebody saying it because I've had people say a lot of things about me that were way off the mark in my career. Doesn't make it true just because Joe Blow said it. So this is the, this is the kind of funny part here. I'm going to hand it over to John here in a second, but I, I just got to throw this last part of this part of the discussion out at you. So it, it led to claims obviously that uh, she would also use her financial power to gain control over booking decisions, keep herself on top, right? So here's one of the points, and this is, again, why outside of professional wrestling media should not cover professional wrestling. Ready? <laughs> she was involved She was involved in what was known as now the original screw job involving Wendy Richter at Madison Square Garden, where she pinned <laughs> Richter, unbeknownst to her, as the spider lady to reveal herself to be the fabulous moolah in a ploy with <laughs> blank blank to get out of the WWF. Who is the blank blank in this situation, Shane? My guess would be uh, Vincent Mann. You know, who knows? I mean, that's what yeah. I'm saying. You fill in, you, you fill in a blankety blank, you know, blankety blank kicked me in the balls yesterday. Who's blankety blank? I mean, it could be anybody. And, you know, I mean, I, I, most of these articles I was reading, like I was reading them and they were coming across to me like, like a joke, like somebody writing like this stuff. Like they're almost. Like it's almost the, yeah. like the old PWIs, that they were kayfabe. Exactly. You go back and read those PWI articles and they, they sound so reminiscent of this kind of stuff. But, you know, again, I go back to let's assume that everything that was – said every accusation made in these articles was 100% accurate. Again, go back to what I said a second ago about trying to apply 2018 to some other time frame. But look at the time that Moolah broke into this industry. Uh, women back then, I, and this ain't me saying this is right, I'm just saying that's how the time was. That women then were considered secondary citizens to men and certainly in a business full of testosterone like professional wrestling women uh what what was her first gimmick again uh the uh uh sort of like a uh i'm trying to think of the name uh she was like a slave girl or something you know you know now if mula was 18 today and somebody said hey go out and be shane douglas's slave girl she might say, tell Shane Douglas to kiss my ass. But then she wanted into the industry, and, and like the story, the one story said that she was poverty-stricken as a child and swore she'd never be in that situation again. 
uh, Moolah came up and created a pathway for women to have an in, uh, a foot in the door in this once male-dominated industry to a point now where in the WWF, the w, I still say WWF, WWE, one could make the argument that the Divas division is more popular and bigger than the male division. Well, that didn't happen by happenstance. It didn't happen in a vacuum. It happened because people like Moolah took the opportunity to kick that door in as, 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 as secretly, as overtly, as quietly, as loudly as she could do back then. And she did it at a time when the industry was completely opposed to that kind of thing. Not just the industry, but society. And yet she kicked that door in somehow, some way. So again, real easy for me to sit here in 2018 in the lap of luxury here in, in the franchise lair uh, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, saying, ah, oh, she's a piece of shit because she did this, that, or the other thing. Look, put yourself in her shoes at the time that she came into this industry. Could you have accomplished the same thing and opened the doors that she did to so many other women, including Wendy Richter and all the divas today? Because my guess is, had Moolah or somebody not done that then, that those opportunities would not be presenting themselves today. Uh, history is, is like trying to grab mercury. It's as fluid as anything. And if you think you can nail down a particular narrative from the point, vantage point of 2018 and pass judgment on some past generation, you're a fool. You're a bigger fool than I am. Uh, but it's impossible to do. Uh, again, I, I want to finalize my comments by saying, if there's evidence out there other than somebody's comments that she did these things, then she should be judged fairly and squarely by history and by the people watching this. But not because Shane Douglas came out and said it so, or Wendy Richter came out and said it so, or XYZ came out and said it so. Um, you know, there's lots of things I've said in my career that I've come back later and thought, well, maybe I was a bit harsh on that, or maybe I didn't have the, quite the full picture at that point. By the time I said it, I believed it to the core, to, 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 to my inner bones, I believed it. Um, doesn't make it uh, completely true. Doesn't make it completely false. Is it possible that I might have had a, a different point of view at that time? Um, I don't know. I mean, this is one of those things where I think it's sort of sad that we can just, if we just raise enough hell, we can erase one of you guys or both of you from history if we just don't like something that you said or did and we'll just create something or go with some comment that one person made. Uh, I don't recall anybody that when I was there, uh, when, when Mula was there in the WWF, I don't remember anybody talking about any kind of stories like this about Mula. Never heard any of this kind of stuff. Now, does that mean that th those times that I had it right and the other people were wrong? No. But it seems to me that if somebody was that big of a shithead, that that kind of a narrative would have leaked out probably every place you went. And I never heard anything like that about Mula. So I was sort of stunned as I was reading this today. Uh, and following along over the last couple of weeks with some of these narratives, just again, with as time constrained as I am, looking at these from a, just like a quick vantage point, quick look-see type of thing, uh, it just doesn't seem to hold water to me. 
you know, I I would want and need to see more information before I was going to draw that quick of a narrative, that quick of a point of view or a gestalt to say, you know what, this piece of shit needs to be sanitized out of history. We can't name any matches after her. We can't discuss her anymore uh, because I read on the social medias that she did this, that, or the other thing. If that's all it takes, then boy, a whole lot of us have some real tough times coming ahead because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that have some uh, pretty heady things to say about each of us. Through the many years, there have been so many allegations by this uh, wrestling journalist or, or this person or that person, and a lot of people, even writers, have written several things. You know, not, nothing really substantial as far as the fact, but basically quoting some female wrestlers and quoting this person and what they heard and maybe maybe what they claimed to have seen. So, I mean, you don't really know the real truth of the matter. You don't really know the facts. But there is a story. I'm just curious from your perspective if this is true, not only of Mula, but of other wrestling trainers as well. They would say that she would uh, be in charge of the school but never actually train the wrestlers. Have you heard of this? Have you seen this practice with wrestlers? Is that common? Because you've heard about Shawn Michaels as well. He would have a wrestling school. He would have students, but he wouldn't physically train them. Yeah, that, 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 that's fairly common. Now, now, in my case and in McFoley's case, Dominic Tanucci trained us every single week. He was there. It was his school. And that was because Dominic, excuse me, wasn't going to pay somebody else to come in and, and do what he wanted to do. Uh, you know, he was very proficient at what he did and was very good at what he did, obviously, and, uh, and took the time to train us. But there were times that Dominic couldn't make it. Like he had a prior engagement, uh, and he might have, uh, like I remember one time he had Bruno, come by the school and, 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 and talk to us that particular week because he couldn't be there. Uh, it wasn't often, but there were times. And I have heard the narrative of other people that run schools with their name on it that don't have anything to do with, it, with the training. Um, so, I mean, look at the WWE training center today. You get on it, go down there and you're told that, you know, wrestler A is the, is the main trainer. And yet 90% of the time, I, I mean, I don't know the percentages, but, from my understanding, you don't see that person very often. It's, you know, a, a, a rule through. In fact, I just saw uh, uh, Ricky Morton over the weekend, and he told me that he just finished up a couple weeks stint at the uh, Performance Center. So does that mean that the WWE was ripping the kids off because they didn't have whoever the main trainer is there now not training them? Uh, pretty, pretty common thing in this industry funny sometimes some people read something or take something that really don't know the wrestling business and they try to dissect it and say oh that that person uh, is an asshole they screwed over their trainees and they train that and then you find out for someone like you like oh that's pretty common practice these people just don't get it and don't understand the business and i don't know if you've ever heard this term before and i know me and chad we've used it for many many years fake mark have you ever heard of this expression before no. Basically, it's these people that act like they are fans of the business, but they're pretending they're fans of the business because it's cool or it's a hipster thing. And it really is kind of like taking wrestling by storm. They're literally fake marks. Some of them will even admit they don't watch it. They read and follow it that way. Isn't that kind of, um, I don't know, a little strange to you that uh, these fans aren't really fans, but they're kind of pretending to be fans, quote-unquote fake marks? Well, I'm a fake brain surgeon, 
So next time you need brain surgery, you had a big tumor on your medulla oblongata. Don't pay that brain surgeon all the money he wants. I mean, I've got some some background in, in AMP and anatomy and physiology, and I was accepted in medical school. So I could probably save you a couple hundred thousand bucks if you just come to me. This goes to the core of what I say all the time on, on the social medias. Uh, do I know everything about the wrestling industry? Absolutely not. But I'll be willing to bet a dime to a donut. I know more than the casual fan sitting out there, and certainly the fake mark, yeah, under the understanding of what you just described it as. When I take my car to the shop to be fixed, I don't do it with a big smile on my face and paying my mechanic 90, 100, 150 bucks an hour because I'm just such a great guy. I like handing my money away. I do it because I don't know how to fix it. If I did, I'd sure as hell do it myself and wouldn't pay that guy, although I like my mechanic. I wouldn't pay that guy his fee because, <laughs> say, I'm in the wrestling business, I'm pretty tight with money. Um, but I do it because he's an expert at it, and I can't do it. Uh, it. It astounds me how many people try to, quote, unquote, lecture me about the wrestling business on the social medias. Uh, whether it's somebody that's been in the business for five or ten years or somebody that's never been in the business, uh, do, again, do I know anything about the business? No. But I'll be willing to any point I, I espouse whether it's on social media or on this podcast or at a convention or at a live show, I'd be willing to have a debate with anybody, no matter who they are, whether Pat Patterson or Bill Watts or Joe Blow, who just broke into the industry or some fan that's never been in the industry and have boots on his feet. I'd be willing to debate that point. And if I'm out debated, okay, maybe I'll change and alter my point of view. But I'd be willing to bet that there are a few people that could debate me on the points that I've espoused and prove me wrong. The reason being, I've been in this industry for almost 40 years. Uh, doesn't mean I'm smarter than the next person, but it means I'm smarter than the next person on this particular point aspect. If uh, they're a surgeon or a car mechanic, I'm not going to sit there and argue a point with them about how to turn a screw or cut a skull open uh, because they're the expert in that field. And yet today the social medias have given equal voice to me. So I can go on there and troll the brain surgeon and the mechanic and make them sound like a jerk and that they're overpaying, overcharging people and everything else just because I have a, a, an outlet on the social medias. And that outlet is as powerful as the guy, the quote-unquote expert on that field. You see the folly in that? I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous and absurd. Uh, but I'm fully willing, anybody that wants to have a debate on any point of a spouse, then let's have it in a, in a, in a public forum. Let's charge ticket price. And at the end of that uh, uh, forum, if you've proven me wrong, then I'll be happy to say you were right and I was wrong. But I'd be willing to bet there won't be many people to take me up on that challenge. I love it. The gauntlet has been thrown down by Dean Douglas, of all people. I love it. <laughs> you know, the next time I see you, JP, I think your eyebrows for that comment. <laughs> <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Now, if we can, let's go into a little AFA, a little Ask Franchise Anything. We haven't done this in a couple of weeks, but time to yeah. get back to it. And this time, it's an email from Jesse the Icon String. Shane, have you ever seen the shoot promo, since we were talking about Paul Heyman before, I thought this was good. Have you ever seen the shoot promo by Paul Heyman on Vince McMahon on WBTV in November of 2001? I was just curious of your take on Paul since he was under contract in 2001, does any of that promo seem like it was Paul being off the cuff? 
Now, Shane, have you ever seen this shoot promo? I, I may have. I don't recall specifically. Uh, but my guess is just fill in the blanks of what you just said. He was under contract, and yet he's shooting. So when I'm under contract with Paul Hammond, if I go out and shoot on Paul Hammond, am I really shooting on Paul Hammond, or even if he hasn't given me the words to say, am I choosing my words very carefully? Uh, look, Paul, if he wants to do a shoot, be it on Vince McMahon or anybody else, is pretty proficient at doing that. Uh, but I would be highly suspect of saying that that was a legit shoot while he was under contract events. Uh, it was at some point, no question in my mind, agreed upon and discussed between Vince and Paul as to what he would say. And, uh, it got the final okay from Vince Manor would never aired. He basically, and, and I remember this promo very well because it was such a good promo. You know, Vince comes off the shock and surprise and Heyman basically says you used Hogan, you created Titan towers. You used Bret Hart, you got an airplane. You use this guy, you know, you're, you use Steve Austin, you end up on the, you know, getting on the stock exchange, you become public. And then he says that he made Taz into a, a, a fat, bad announcer. <laughs> so it was it, it was quite a good shoot promo and quite shocking, especially at the time when you weren't really used to shooting. But um, I'm sure you, of all people, would be uh, respectful of a good shoot promo if, in fact, it was really a shoot. Well, no, no question about it. But keep in mind, where did Vince McMahon go shortly after that, or or maybe even during that same time frame? Became a heel, right? So, uh, Mr. McMahon was the evil entity that ran the the WWE, uh, which was a stroke of brilliance on his part because he knew that any real stories, shoot stories, that people like me or anybody that's ever worked for him could come out and say, people would listen to that and go, well, yeah, that's just the character that he plays. Uh, and defray some of that. So, you know, Vince allowing Paul on his television to go out and do a quote-unquote, with quotation marks around it, shoot promo, making him out to be a heel, and then he sets himself up as the number one heel in the company, uh, I, I think is it speaks for itself. It is what it is. It was interesting. It was during a time in 2001 when it was WCW and ECW, both were extinct and dead at this point, were then feuding with the WWF. It didn't really have a payoff as far as ECW, you know, coming back at that point. Obviously, many years later, the quote-unquote new ECW would come back. But it was really kind of uh, a prelude to WWF officially killing WCW and ECW on their Survivor Series pay-per-view a few weeks later. So I don't know how much good that it, that it really accomplished but with you know with you you know kind of being gone at that point did you ever kind of look at WWE TV or WWF TV at that point because ECW and WCW were dead did you ever even fathom or think about watching that product at that point like oh I wonder what happens to the brand uh, you know up until about five years ago I watched it Fairly regularly, not every week by any means, but uh, you know, I, I tuned in. You know, if I was home and the TV was on and, and it was on, I would certainly flip it on. Um, but, you know, the point you just make about there was no immediate payoff to it, uh, in my experience, the, the best angles are laid by planting a seed now 
and waiting for them to pay off a year or two or even three down the road, uh, as when Larry Zabisco turned on, on, on San Martino. You know, that, that, that angle took nearly two years to build before it finally came to the infamous chair shot. It got to the point as a fan of the business, I remember thinking, oh, this isn't going anywhere. This is just more bullshit. And then, pow, the chair shot came. So even though there was no immediate payoff to it for those two years, when it finally did come to that chair shot, it, it resonated, you know, sent shivers to the business, you know, tremors to the business, because none of us, we all thought we saw it coming, and then we all told ourselves it wasn't coming, and then there it came. Uh, so I would say with, it was in the case of Vince, even though there was no immediate payoff, it set up for the heel that, character that he would become later. Um, you know, I, as, as for me watching the show at that time, uh, even when I did watch it, especially I, there were a lot of stuff they did, a lot of things that they did during the Attitude Era that I thought was really cool. You know that they were really taking what ECW had started and taking it, you know, by putting the bright lights and the laser beams and the and the pyro to it, putting it on a different level. Um, but there's still something to be said to me about the, no pun intended, but the rawness of an of an ECW show. You go back and watch it sands any pyro and laser beams and you know cool entrances and i mean appearing in the middle of the ring out of no place or flames shooting out of the corner post or whatever um there's something about that it goes back to the same thing i said about like the first three kiss albums uh kiss hotter than hell and destroyer or not destroyer uh dress to kill when they came out 73 4 and 5 uh early 75 there was something about those albums I didn't like. They sounded thin and tinny and didn't quite have the power that Kiss would evoke in their live shows. Uh, but as time has gone on, especially now that music has become so slickly produced, uh, everything you listen to sounds perfect. There's, you know, all the levels are perfect. The, the vocals are perfect. Everything sounds like it was, like it was made in a sterile room. Uh, to me, there's something to be said about that rawness and that tinniness that those first three albums held because now I go back and listen to them, even though they still sound the same to me. There's something intriguing about them because they don't sound like they've been so slickly produced and created in a laboratory someplace. Uh, I think the same thing about wrestling. Sometimes raw, again, no pun intended, no intonation towards uh, that particular sports entertainment show that's on Monday nights, uh, but the rawness uh, of, of an angle execute, executed, well executed and uh, pushed properly to me has a, has a certain eloquence to it that can't be contrived in, in a laboratory or in an office someplace. Now, Chad really, really has been excited the last couple of weeks. He really, he really was dying to ask you about a certain former female member of the triple threat and I know he's been dying to ask you where is she is she coming on the show what's going on with Francine Chad have you heard anything from Franny if you will quote unquote Franny I checked the text I checked the, I checked the DMs I, I, I listened to every voicemail in my phone I'm feeling a little, uh, a little left out in the cold but uh, I don't know maybe we can pull a rabbit out of a hat uh, pretty soon uh, I don't know if somebody else. See, hold like on. It, but uh... I knew it. 
I knew you guys were playing behind my back and trying to pull something off the way you kept bringing this up. Look, I've spoken to Francine and she has told me definitively that she's busy with her children. She's busy with her workouts. She's busy with her Twitter account. And that if she would have time, she may come on here, but that she didn't see the foreseeable future. Now I find out you two guys have been building fences and working behind my back. <laughs> now I'm going to put my hey, foot down and say Francine will never be on this show. Sometimes, Shane, people uh, people wish for things that uh, they want to come true. And sometimes they hope for things to uh, play out in a different way. So we shall see, and only time will tell if uh, one of us is going to be correct. So I will leave that up to the uh, to the well, universe to see what happens next. Well, I tell you what, this week I'm going to pay close attention to the Twitter account. If the people out there believe that, like me, we should leave Franny alone to her privacy and not badger her into being on this show, or if the fans would like to hear her on this show. I'll take it into consideration, but my place is I'm going to, I'm going to honor Francine's privacy and not badger her into being on this show. I just quite frankly don't think she, she really sees the time to do it and, or the need to do it. That, but that's my personal <laughs> point of view. I also love that I get thrown under the bus and I'm not the one who had her pinned up on my wall uh, for my <laughs> teen years like somebody else did. So uh, there's two people I know in this conversation that uh, had a, had a, uh, a very uh, minimally dressed Francine around them 24-7, and that's Shane Douglas and my co-host, JP. So uh, the two of you spent a lot of time with Francine, one live and one in picture form. So, uh, oh, you're talking about – I, I, you were talking about the – when you were talking about the pictures, you were talking about James. Because I've had I've had her pictures on my bedroom ceiling for years. My ex-wife didn't like it, but hell, I thought, what the hell? So, so you're talking about JP there. I'm talking about JP and his uh, double-sided tape that he had to reapply every uh, every couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> but I digress, and we'll see what's uh, what's going to move forward. But hey, if you want to have your question answered on this show, please hit us up: the triple thread pod at gmail dot com. Uh, get us some more questions, uh, feed us more, like our guest Ryback that we just had on our two-man power trip show would say, feed us more questions. Let's get some more out there and uh, see if, uh, you know, you can dial into that franchise brain and see uh, see what he's got to unlock for you. So, uh, Shane, one thing we didn't touch on yet at the beginning of the show we usually ask, but where were you last weekend and uh, how was your, uh, your previous uh, wrestling endeavors of the past week? Well, this past weekend I was at the uh, the annual event, the Ivan Koloff Classic, in uh, uh, North Carolina, and had a wonderful time. Met his daughter for the first time after all these years. Uh, he's got a beautiful daughter. His wife was there. Had an incredible turnout. They had altered the building. It's a smaller event venue, but they had altered the building where we used to be set up for merchandise tables and things in the venue itself. They moved us to an to a to a uh, an antechamber, a side room, and uh, really packed the people in and still returning people away. So, you know, even after all this time, Uncle Ivan is still, still commanding an audience, and uh, uh, they got a great show. I ended up wrestling in a three-way dance against uh, uh, C.W. Anderson and, and a guy you guys may have heard of, uh, James Storm, Beer Money, and uh, we gave the audience a, a pretty good 
uh, main event and uh, proud to say the franchise uh, was able to take advantage of an opening and stole the match for us. I like Terry Funky to say, win if you can, lose if you must, but always cheat. I live it every day of my career, but it was a great time. Uh, other than the travel to and uh, from, we ran into a hellacious snowstorm in Virginia. And if I could just for a second talk about the uh, Virginia Highway uh, uh uh, road crews, uh, get the hell off your asses and do your job because on the way back, only in Virginia, we saw <laughs> snow plows parked on the sides of the road as we're driving through literally 12 inches of snow, ice, and and rocks and everything else on the road. And then we would hit we'd hit that for eight or ten miles, and then we'd hit a like a mile mile and a half strip where the road was completely clear. There's nothing on the road, and you think you finally reached sanity. And then about a mile and a half, you get 12 or 15 inches of snow and ice and rocks again. And all the while seeing these snow plows parked on the side of the road with their yellow lights flashing and sitting there drinking a cup of coffee, I guess. But it was infuriating, the, the trip back, a trip that should have taken us. It took us four and a half, almost a little bit less than five hours to get down there. It took us close to 10 hours to get back. So thank you to the, to the professional work of the Virginia Highway uh, road crews, fantastic job, and I'm saying that with all the sarcasm I could possibly ooze and drip into it. <laughs> hey, and I guess uh, I don't know. Since you said you haven't been on Twitter in a couple of days, that match actually did find its way out to Twitter, and C.W. Anderson actually retweeted it. So I got a chance to check out uh, a little bit of the match, and uh, what a pairing, huh? The three of you guys—that's definitely one for the uh, for the fantasy booker uh, inside of every wrestling fan. That's a great three-way dance right there. James Storm, the franchise, and C.W. Anderson, who, by the way, I mean, talk about somebody who doesn't look like he ages at all. C.W. Anderson looks, based, I think he looks better than he did back in uh, back in his years in ECW. He's just in, in phenomenal shape and looks great in the ring. Oh, I agree. I've always been a fan of C.W.'s work. Uh, I think he was one of those guys, and you know, we always talk about guys that that don't get the, the the respect that they're due or the adulation that they're due. And for anybody that's watched CW uh, and followed his career, I think you have a, a group of fans that have a real respect for CW. Um, uh, he's a fantastic performer, but noteworthy to that match was, and I didn't realize it until afterwards, James Storm and I had never been in the ring together. Uh, I had worked as the head of talent relations and as an agent in TNA when he was uh, there and, you know, just beginning to, 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 to build the whole beer money uh, uh, gimmick. And uh, I put it this way. I was very impressed with what I saw with James. I was very impressed with him back then, but having been in the ring with him now, even more impressed. And it was my honor to be in the ring with those guys and, and uh, to have a, a fleeting glimpse of, of what James Storm and C.W. Anderson bring to the table. Two class acts and two fantastic wrestling talents. That's, uh, that's very cool and almost a, uh, almost a, I would say, a baby face uh, franchise because the franchise uh, trimmed the old beard there a little bit, huh? Kind of looking, uh, taking, it, taking <laughs> it back a little bit. Just a little bit. You know, I'm sort of like on this transformation stage where, uh, you know, I've been uh, – you know, funny story. My I go to see my doctor, right? My family physician, a fantastic doctor, Doctor Robert Knapp in Beaver, Pennsylvania. Uh, and he told me, he said, you know, you know, your age. You know, I'd like to see you get down to, you know, your ideal weight. You know, for your age and for your height, I'd like to see you like 186 to 195 pounds or something like that. And I said, well, that's easy. We can do that right now. 
he looked at me sort of strange. Yeah, just get the saw and chop me off at the legs, and I'll be I'll be the 186 pounds <laughs> easy. Uh, but I have been uh, getting into the gym and, and working out hard with the interval biking, and uh, you know, finally finding some time and just making time to do it. In fact, I'm, when I hang up from the podcast here, I'm gonna head to the gym and uh, Planet Fitness and get in there and get my biking in today because I didn't get it in earlier. And uh, I, I tell you, I'm really finding it enjoyable just to be able to. You know, we used to say in the you know, uh, back in the business and in the gym, you just get a chance to go in there and blow out some carbon. And as I told you before we started the podcast, I've had, you know, one of those days where, you know, not complaining. It was a great day, got a lot of stuff done. But one of those days where it left no time to get anything done other than, than the tasks at hand. And, uh, you know, hopefully have some more to talk about that here in the future. But, you know, things moving uh, in a good direction and, and just uh, trying to keep up with that. And, Figured, if, you know, for my kids' sake, if nothing else, and for my sake, looking in the mirror every morning, if I can trim a few of these pounds off, I'm down about 13 or 15 pounds right now. I would like to get down to 220, 225, like in that range, and uh, I think I'm well on the way to doing it, but it ain't easier. I can tell you this, when, it, when you get to this age, uh, you know, at, at 946 years old, it's a lot easier than when you were 25, and uh, <laughs> but but I'm really enjoying myself and, and uh, having a great time, and and having some uh, good visions in the gym. There's some, there's some really cool things. Look at the gym. They have a really nice set of dumbbells, and they have a really nice set of, of uh, cables, and, you know, things that really catch my eye when I'm in the gym. So I, I, I enjoy going to the gym to, to get a look at all the sites the gym has to offer. Nice. Very nice. And, by the way, uh, the franchise reigns supreme after that match, just so everybody uh Everybody knows, but let's wrap it up here, Shane. And uh, obviously, everybody knows that they want to get us on Twitter. It's at the franchise SD and at Two Man Power Trip. You can get to our website, tmptfwrestling.com. You can get to our Triple Threat podcast page, get our t shirts. You can check out past episodes of the show. The YouTube archive, hopefully, will be at a million next week. And everything that's going on in our world with TMPTCon 2 is on there. We'll dive into that more next week as well. But, Shane, please, before you take us out with your, uh, your, your franchise wisdom, please share with us where you're going to be out in the wrestling world this coming weekend. Well, this coming weekend I'll be out as a wrestler in the real world, but I'm going to be making an appearance at the uh, Port Huron, Michigan Prowlers. Uh, uh, they're in first place in the Federal Hockey League up there in Michigan. They're going to be playing the uh, Carolina Thunderbirds, and I'm going to be there at the McMorrin uh, arena at 7:30 on Friday night. Really looking forward to it. it's raising money from the local Humane Society there and uh, it's a charity that I really have a you know uh, you know a, a soft spot in my heart for them. So I've been a, always been a big softy for pets and and uh, I had the coolest dog in the history of dogs when uh, with my dog Panzer the uh, the Chinese pug and so when they called and asked for me to make an appearance and help them with this charity event I jumped at it. So that's where I'll be this weekend in uh, uh, the McMoran Arena up in uh, uh, Port Huron uh, for the Port Huron Prowlers. So that's where I'll be Friday night. Uh, come on out and say hello and uh, get a picture uh, taken, and, and let's watch a great hockey game on Friday night. Absolutely. Let's do it up, and uh, we're getting ready for baseball season, but you can enjoy some hockey with the franchise. So, Shane, why don't you close this out here? Take us to episode 42 next week, and let's get out of here for uh, this closer of the show, episode 41. Well, now that I know that my partners, my triple threat partners, have been working behind my back to try to get a certain 
queen of extreme head cheerleader on the show behind my back. I'm going to go out and cut the legs out from under that unless I hear from the fans out there because, look, Chad, JP, I love you guys to death, but if I find out you're working behind my back, I'm going to have to franchise your asses. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.